0: This is Creek with At the Table Podcast. Here at At the Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Night. It's not night.
1: It's evening. Morning. It's time afternoon.
2: Alan Jackson said it was five o'clock somewhere. It's
1: past okay. my bedtime. So, you know, you spoke to the redneck in me. So I'll go with that. There you go. It's five o'clock somewhere. Mm
2: mm mm.
1: We are a sober podcast, so.
2: Indeed. Right. Yes. Amen. <laughs>
1: How you guys doing? Good. Good. Been a good week. Been busy, but it's been good. Man, I'm so excited. To, to go to the blurry barbecue, man. Yeah, Go ahead that's and pretty hang cool. Out and meet the guys from Blurry Creatures. Tell us, and, yeah, tell tell, us about tell
2: that. the listeners a little bit about that.
1: So yeah, um, there's an event scheduled um, with a, another podcast called the Blurry Creatures Podcast. They're also um, believers, but they're having a barbecue for their members, and uh, I bought tickets, and so I think I'm gonna take the family, and we're gonna go up there, and we're gonna rub shoulders with the podcasting greats. Shout out to the. To the boys from blurry creatures
2: was that pun intended You're talking about barbecue and rubbing shoulders
1: oh no but shoulders. it takes a it takes a barbecue man to pick that out for real <laughs> i would have never my
2: time has come
1: i'm funny in ways i didn't even know
2: i think that would actually be me
1: funny. well I'm, i don't know i said the words maybe you get the credit yeah so also <laughs> um just uh before we get into the material i do want to to encourage like our listeners first. First of all, I want to say thank you. All of our, our all of our ratings are five stars, and so I'm thankful for everybody who has gone and left a rating and a review. But if you haven't, now's the time. Please do that. Pull your phone out. Takes two minutes. Go leave us a, a rating review on Apple Podcasts or um, you know whatever on on Spotify. Whatever you do, I don't know.
2: Yeah. But. Go Then go find your grandma and your grandpa. Then aren't very tech <laughs> that that's up a good point.
0: And if they <laughs> <laughs> These dudes have actually gone up to their grandma and grandpa and made them rate the podcast.
2: No, I didn't make them. I just did it for them. That's not the same thing, dog. It's <laughs> not the same thing. And no, I haven't done it to my grandparents. Somebody else's probably, but not mine. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you do it to your
1: wife's grandparents?
2: Yeah, to her, yeah.
1: to, her <laughs> to her grandma and Walmart. <laughs> hey, so that is that is what we're telling you to do. Every friend that you have, it's your homework. Take their phone. Go first of all, follow the podcast. Give a, a like, a rating, review, ding. whatever you got to do. Yeah, turn on the bell notifications so that they get that sweet sweet ding every Saturday Gosh. when their episode's release, and they know mm. that it's time to to check in. Right? Yeah. Also, Quite um I do want to to give a shout out to all of our, our listeners that are foreign and abroad, right? Yeah,
2: we'll make a point of every episode, at least until we run out of international listeners to shout them out. I think we talked about Qatar in the last.
1: We did give recording. a small shout out. We did, yeah.
2: yeah. So just to reiterate that shout out, but uh, let's pick Jamaica. Oh but, yeah! Thank Jamaica. you. Yeah. I'm pretty brother.
1: sure I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> to the brother or sister in Jamaica, God bless you. Especially if your name is Dylan. This is just a shout, shout interview out to you coming up. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, is that it? Are we yeah. ready to get in the show?
2: Well, what is at the table today, sir?
1: Yes, sir. We are. Uh, we ended our our, our um, walk through the book of the Scroll of the Judges, and and we are entering into First Samuel. And so it's kind of this this transition, right? Um we we transitioned from from Moses and Aaron and Joshua and and those, those patriarchal leaders and we transitioned to this time where God was raising up different individuals in every generation and he was using them in, in, in sometimes supernatural ways his power would fall on him and he would use them to judge his people right. and to judge their enemies.
0: Samuel is like a 13th judge.
1: Yeah. Um in fact he's the final judge right he he marks the end of this era and the beginning of a new era and that would be the era of the
2: uh, of the kings
0: well the, prophets well yeah but kind of the same also both. yeah both. there's
2: a bo- there's both going on there yeah samuel like kind of acts as like a like a pivot point in the text um which we've just forecasted who's going to be the main focus of this episode, yeah, a person not yet born. His name is Samuel. So, in First Samuel, chapter one is where we'll start. Just uh, real quick, you'll notice if you're an avid Old Testament reader, or maybe you just like learned one of the songs in Sunday school about memorizing the scripture in its order as laid out and its can- canological order. I think I said that right, and how it's produced in in the canon, like in that sequence. Um, that we skipped a book. We did. Uh, we skipped Ruth. Um, we'll circle back to that. Just hang yeah. on. It'll take a
0: few episodes. I guess, well, it would be before. Chronologically, it would be before. but Yeah. 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 It's, Y'all get what I'm saying. It's in its yeah,
2: chronological order. But for our purposes, we won't address it until later in this particular timeline.
1: So what you're saying is, is there is a method to there, the madness. There is a method to
2: the madness. There's Ruth, a plan. We're not misogynists. Ruth has not been <laughs> left out.
1: Bless her. Bless her heart. We love Ruth.
2: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But we'll circle back to her. So we're at a pivot point how we talked. Um, we concluded Judges, and Judges' very last phrase was, because there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes.
1: And so, that's that's not a desirable thing.
2: Yeah, we get the, and and the period of the judges encapsulates about a 400-year time frame. Hmm. This is in a sense like kind of you're beginning to notice like a pattern unfold here, right? You've got Abraham, you know, told by God that there would be 400 years worth of slavery of his descendants in Egypt and, you know, now we we're back at another 400-year time frame except it's not slavery in Egypt, it's the children of Yahweh willingly throwing themselves into the slavery of other gods and the nations uh, that right. are governed by those. It
1: kind of almost marks like oh, maybe like a new beginning too because the same thing is true with like the 40 days, right? There's there's this 40 number and then 400
0: seems like a an amped up version of that. Well, they don't necessarily anymore just need deliverance from a, somebody else on earth like, there's no shackles. There's no slavery. It's more like you're, you're enslaved, but to something else. There's something else that is taking you into this. Like you actually willingly went into this. So what is it you need delivered from? Right.
2: Yes. Th-
0: this idea that
2: though you may be freed from Pharaoh and your ancestors may have thought he was the problem. It was really just a realization of the real problem lurking yeah. behind this. That's Um, And and that realization has now happened in terms of the Midianites, we read in Judges, the Ammonites, the Philistines, people after people after people after people have been oppressing God's people.
0: I think it's fair to say that, like, you know, in anyone's life, there's always going to be like some, at least in the the Bible, I guess, there's always going to be somebody oppressing you, but that is not actually the problem. Yeah, yeah.
2: Very good point. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I said, we were saying, Samuel kind of represents this pivot point um, when we get to his life. But we'll start in First Samuel 1. Um, in the ESV, it says, There was a certain man of ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. Just a pause. Like, when is that? Have we came across that yet? Good. that's been a good no. thing.
1: It, well, it's it, it's it's not ideal. It's not it's not Edenic, right? It's not it's not obedient to that command that that God said that you know that the two will become one, not right. three will become one. Yeah, but two should become one.
2: Maybe the number three is like exclusively reserved for the Trinity. We should just. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> but he <laughs> says so. It says he has two wives. The name of one is Hannah, the name of the other, Penina, and Penina has children, but Hannah has no children. So in our Snake Crusher series, we know that um, in Genesis 3, um, as represented on the back of these shirts, shout out to Creek's wife, dope design. Um, You guys haven't seen them yet, but they're sick. You just have to trust us. So uh, what we're to expect is that God would bring the Messiah, the Snake Crusher, particularly through the seed in the line of a woman. Right. Right. And we mentioned how the the same thing with Abraham
1: and multiple, the same thing multiple with people wife, you have yeah. This inability in their own you know, their own body to make this happen. Yeah. The, the, there's been multiple people in this line that we've talked about who the barrenness has been a pattern. And it's and it's this need for God to step in. To, if he if his plan is going to be accomplished then God is going to have to do that thing himself.
0: Right. Right. Which I would like to point out kind of on that point. Elkanah means God has possessed. Wow. Interesting. Might kind of come in a little bit later. Mm. Mm. That, yeah, I didn't know that. I, I
1: do think it's important to know too, though, that like, Elkanah, he's not very wise in having two wives. Right. But he, is, he, he does serve Yahweh. Yeah, other than that, he's, he's faithful to being. Yahweh. He's, he's faithful to keep the days. He's faithful to keep the feasts. And he doesn't just go himself, but he's faithful to take his family there too. Well, and you
2: see the same nepotism that would happen between like Jacob and Rachel. Yeah. Um, happening here with the one that is barren too. So in verse 4, uh, well, actually I think this is important to note too. So in verse 3 it says, now this man, talking about Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Mm. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had clothed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord she used to provoke her. Yeah. What a sad story. Well, it's
1: the struggle between brothers, right? It only hmm. this time it's sisters. Yeah. It, it 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 makes a point to call her like a rival. You guys are yeah. you guys are both people, you're women of Israel. You shouldn't have to strive against one another. You should be able to live in harmony, but most of the time when we come to these these stories, there's always that element where there's a rivalry. There's There's a a striving against one another. It's the same thing that we had with Leah, right? Yeah, and Rachel. You know, and and the one that was barren was constantly provoked by the other one because she was loved. But it's it's a repackaging of that same thing.
2: Yeah. It the the rivalry is always bitter, but it says so. Therefore, because he used to provoke her year after year, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in shallow, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. So,
1: so basically he'll be an, a Nazarite. Right. He'll, right. He'll, he'll, he will be sanctified to, to the Lord from birth. Um,
0: We've seen couple, this before. Yeah,
1: definitely. With, with Samson, he, he was a judge and, and a Nazarite. But a couple things that I want to point out is, like for the purpose of this mosaic that we're creating, here you're having a son set aside to the Lord, and he's going to belong to the Lord all the days of his life. I think that that's important. But two, one thing that I want to point out in Hannah is like where in other stories you see like God comes to Abraham and God comes to, the, you know, here or maybe even that Isaac cries out to God on, beh- on behalf of his wife because she's barren. Here, Hannah, it's like this moment where she can go to the Lord herself. That she can cry out to the Lord, and the merciful God Yahweh will hear her yeah. and answer her prayer.
2: It's kind of unfortunate, like too, to think of the way that, like her her coming to the house of the Lord, because year by year this is said to happen the same way, right? Um, same treatment, same song and dance, and she gets the treatment from Eli the priest that she does. <laughs> yeah, straight <laughs> which, up. You know, it was a was an honest mistake, but. And, and this is that treatment. So verse 13 says that Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. So she see what Eli sees when he looks at Hannah praying to God is, you know, she's bitterly weeping. Her mouth is moving, but her voice isn't saying anything. There's no... Yeah. So he, he, there's not like an intelligible sound that he can hear to understand, like, ah, oh, this is what you're doing. And it seems to be, <laughs> we'll come across this later in Scripture, when there's something like vocally happening that people can't understand, the assumption for whatever reason is always that they're drunk.
1: Hey, sometimes so, I've made that on my assumption myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, it's,
2: it's not an unfair assumption in this case. Um, whenever they would come to bring offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, a portion of that was kept back for their own feasting. And so they they would feast on these things. That was a part of um, one of the the tithes, and we didn't go over this, but one of the five tithes
1: that are listed in Deuteronomy. And before we move on, uh, just mentioning in this part, I think that the author, what they're going to do, we've already said that the the person who is like the focus of this episode is Samuel, right? The author is going to constantly contrast Eli and Samuel. And I think that the point of mentioning that is, is that Eli has become so lax in his duties, he's, be, he's so distant from Yahweh's heart that he doesn't even know what it looks like to cry out to Yahweh anymore. Yeah.
2: Right. Mm, that's rough. <laughs> that's a rough way to be characterized. <laughs> but it says, so Anna, Hannah answers him. and says, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord the purpose of her not eating, is it's like a fast. She's right. mourning. Yeah. And the thing that she's mourning about is the fact that she has no son. And her sister, year after year after year, honestly is somewhat of a jerk and consistently provokes her and bullies her about not having a son. And so she's depressed, and she's sad about this. And she comes in, is crying out to God. She doesn't even make it a point to address Eli. Yeah. But she's lifting up her soul before the Lord and weeping before the Lord. And after the whole confusion being settled of whether or not she was drunk, when Eli realizes what's going on, he says, "May God grant your petition." And for whatever reason, like her eating and drinking seems to be symbolic of like a faith, faith that, yeah. yeah, I think that's a, what's going a trust happen.
1: that if if this is God's man, and 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 he will kind of play that role of the of the intercessor, and he'll and he'll he's clearly said, you know, "May God grant your request." Then that's good. Yeah. Well, I can settle there.
2: Right. So they rise early in the morning. They worship before the Lord. They go back to their house at Ramah. Um, Elkanah knew Hannah, <laughs> his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So Samuel in the Hebrew here sounds like um, "heard of God. Um, so he has a, a special name assigned to him. But for the purposes of highlighting Samuel, the reason that we do is because we know there's a seed of a woman promised. There's a woman here that has no seed. And again, a divine intervention that causes her to have seed. And then his name means herd of God.
0: Right. <clears throat> and Elkanah's name means God has possessed. 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 And actually, Hannah, Hannah means grace. Yeah. So also to point out before we get too far, Panina means jewel. Like, mm. she's seen as this jewel, like, she's having... For some reason,
1: that just reminds me of uh, Faramir and <laughs> Boromir. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Boromir's name means, like, fine jewel, and <laughs> Faramir's means, like... Right. <laughs> like, right. a regular jewel. It's Dude, just funny. i seen
2: this meme on that Christian Middle-Earth page that had um, Boromir's room, and it was like a castle. I mean, it was great, and then it showed... The bottom picture said "Fermer's room," and it was a mattress without a box spring, sheets <laughs> like laid on the floor. <laughs> it's like this: <laughs> somebody's name favored, and the other person's just getting crapped on. You know, it's it's hardcore. At least for those two. Not that Penina was getting crapped on because she wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> so this child is born. Um, Samuel is born, and then
1: Elkanah he, goes up to yeah. to to celebrate before the Lord and. Hannah decides that she's not going to go up. Mm-hmm. And she tells her husband, the, the the boy's not yet weaned. But when he's weaned, I will give him to the Lord, and there he will dwell. In, he actually, she actually says that he will dwell in his presence. Mm. I think that that's good. Yeah,
2: forever, she says. So there's no intention on taking him he back. He is the Lord's. Yeah. He yeah. belongs to God. And verse 24 says, and when she weaned him, she took him up along with her three-year-old boy, Bull, sorry, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. The child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to Yahweh. For this child I prayed, and Yahweh has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has lent to the Lord." and he worshipped the Lord there.
1: So I do have a question as to your guys' opinion on this. Who worshipped the Lord there? Hmm. Is it Eli? Mm. Oh Yeah,
2: I would assume. Or would is assume. it Samuel?
1: It says that he was young, but it's just weird. It, does, it, it doesn't seem really specific for me. She's talking to Eli, but she's also talking about Samuel. She says he is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there.
0: Hmm. I wonder. Well, God has possessed him, so... Like, I didn't, like, t- taking him. Yeah, the way that you said that was just <laughs> <Right>. like, uh.
2: And, <laughs> sir, cert- I think maybe in certain, like, denominations that wouldn't sound as bad. Right, I don't know. right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I kind of was like,
2: oh, here we go. And in this next passage, you know, we've noticed, like, a, a trend, right? Deborah's prayer was what we went over in Judges. There was a, a woman that called herself like a mother of Israel. She was a prophetess that was raised up to be a judge and, she has this long song, this very, very long song that's prophetic in several of its own rights. And it also, like, she, like, throws the gauntlet down on a lot of these, like, cowardly dudes and Israelites for not doing their role. So we've noticed so far that whenever a lady in Scripture has, like, a, a long prayer or um, I don't know the technical term for that, uh, you know, a long poem or something of that nature, it's something to pay attention to. Chapter 2 starts off with that. Let's read through it. So, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come for your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those that were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Kind of interesting. Interesting note. The Lord makes poor... And makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed.
1: Dude, there's so much in this. Like, I read this earlier, and for some reason, like, I didn't, it didn't really hit me like, like it is now, but there there's so much in Same. this. that's like apocalyptic almost. It's like, it, it's foreshadowing something to come, right? The idea yes. that someone could go to Sheol and be raised up. Who's what? ever done that? No one's come back from Sheol.
0: Well, it's not that we're told. I would just like to point this out. Like, it's a very snake crushery thing to do to exalt God. And I yes. just want to point that out. Like, that is something that the snake crusher will do. So,
1: like, there, there's so much in here that from the backside, and I know that we don't have time to hit every single one, but there's like, he gives bread, right? So that kind of points back. To, the wilderness journey, but also kind of points mm. forward to like
2: like the manna, yeah,
1: yeah. Like so, God provides. There's there's the the resurrection, right? He comes he comes from Sheol, but he he exalts and raises up the poor from the dust.
0: Who can yeah. conquer death? And he
1: he lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. When has that happened? When where have we seen that? Hannah is what is she talking about? You know, it it's, it seems prophetic in a way, and obviously from the backside end, all I can think about is, like, believer inclusion with Jesus, right? It's like you're being exalted up. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So
2: being woven into this matrix of expectations and her prayer, of what we would think of in a king, one of them is like, uh, like a ministry to the poor. And you get these um, these paradigm statements, you know, like um, those that were barren bear seven children, those that have no bread are eating bread, those that have no honor are sitting amongst princes. The, the idea of the high things
1: being made low yeah. and low things being made high. And even more specifically, like it says that he will not overcome by strength. That to me... That just stands out. What do you mean? Up until now, virtually everyone in the world is overcome by strength.
2: And this king that we're talking about, the line right above that, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Yeah. So we're, again, while in the same stanza, at least, that we're being promised a king or having uh, specifically exalt the horn of his anointed. That word's going to be important to yeah, hold on right. to in the coming chapters. Right. So it says, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And in this next episode in chapter 2, we get a picture of the Levitical priesthood just being absolutely corrupt.
1: Yeah, and we don't need to, I don't think we need to read verbatim, but like some of the things that were happening is these priests were stealing from the people of Israel, and they were stealing from the sacrifices that belonged to Yahweh. They didn't honor him, and these are the sons of Eli, and they're doing this, and they're taking from f- by force from the people, and they're doing it all in the temple, and Eli knows about it. Hmm. Eli he hears what's going on, and he goes to him, and he and he seems to like quasi rebuke them, where he's like, hey, you know, why are you doing this thing? Right. Don't you fear God? You know, but he never puts a stop to it.
2: Well, and he, he even mentions, like, if you sin against a man, then the Lord can mediate for you. But if you sin against the Lord, who's going to help you out there? Right. You know, and you're sleeping with women in his temple. You're, you're in his place of worship. You're stealing sacrifices. You're doing all kinds of awful stuff. So after this, like, but it contrasts, Samuel, like you said earlier, again, with Eli. So in the scripture that it talks about Eli's sons, just absolutely sucking, and then Eli sucking (laughs) as well in terms of actually, like, rebuking them and reproving uh, reproving the wickedness. The last, um, you know, before the next heading, uh, verse 26 says, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and also with men. So it's contrasting Samuel against the house of Levi as, like, Samuel's this guy that's not crooked and even though, like, Eli may not be doing these things necessarily, he is, he is condoning them. So God rejects his household, and that's how chapter 2 ends, is with God telling Eli that because of what you've done, none of your descendants will ever live to an old age, not a single one of them.
1: So I think it's cool to, it's that a man, we're not giving his name, comes to Eli and just prophesies all this stuff out in front of him. And like tells him like God's rejected your household, you know. Basically tells him the same thing that Israel was told like if you do good, I'll bless you, right? But if you don't, I'm not going to. And he he gets he gets told by this man and rebuked by God, telling him that I see what's going on. I see your sons making themselves fat off of the sacrifice, and I've rejected you. And
2: and this isn't sorry to cut you short, just a rejection of Eli and his house. But it says of his father's house, yeah. the Levites. So God is not just rejecting Levi and his son, or Eli and his sons, but the Levitical priesthood is, in a sense, being prophesied here to be replaced.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, it just shows, like you know, just on a practical sense, like complacency is sin as well. Yeah. Oh man, that's good.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, it's so, yeah, the next chapter includes like Samuel's
2: calling and. It's kind of weird. Like he's asleep, and he thinks he hears somebody saying, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up, and he runs to Eli, and he's like, yo,
1: you said you said something? He's you like, you got to say that in a better voice. Samuel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Samuel. Samuel. Yeah. So he Put some bass in there. So he
2: says, uh, you know, hey, what's up? And Eli's like, oh, you know, uh, nothing. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed, and then he hears Samuel. Samuel, you know, again. and so he comes back up and he's like uh yo you called and eli's like ain't said your name bro go back to bed and so then samuel goes back to bed and he hears it again he's like oh my goodness eli understands something's going on here. so he's like i think god's trying to talk to you so the next time you hear this say speak lord for your servant hears and that's what happens and it's kind of odd like you said touching earlier that eli has to has to coach him. It seems like he doesn't like, remember. Yeah. It's
1: like it takes three times. He, Eli is so far. He doesn't remember what it's like hmm. to, to hear from God. And and Samuel is portrayed to be the listener, right? And and he does listen. And so
2: yeah. So it ends with God showing Samuel like, I'm going to do everything that I told to Eli in his house, and on that day, you know, more or less, be expecting something.
1: So, so what, we're not give, what we're not told is that Samuel was present for, to hear any of that. It says that the man says it to Eli while Samuel was ministering in the temple. Mm-hmm. But here you have God confirming that through Samuel and showing the other guy's told to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. He says that he prophesied. That's a good so here you have Samuel specifically being confirmed by God in front of the high priest as a prophet. This is the guy I'm going to talk through.
2: Yeah, that's good.
0: This is Creek with At the Table Podcast. We pray you're enjoying the show. If you are, feel free to leave us a good rating, share our podcast with a friend, and follow us on your podcasting platform. If you'd like to support the show, follow our Patreon or check out our social media for updates on merchandise. So grab a seat, kick back, and let's get back into what's at the table. So, yeah,
2: uh, Samuel's words, not a single one of them fall to the ground, which is not
1: something that's really been highlighted a whole lot in the text. No other point. judge had that yeah. kind of backing. Yes. And the text is clear over and over and over and over, and this is going to be a pattern for those in the in the snake crusher-like vibe, right? It's It makes it the point over and over to say that in Samuel – was in the presence of the Lord, and Samuel worshipped in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord was with Samuel, and the Lord upheld Samuel's word. It always points back to the reason why that Samuel is who Samuel is is because Yahweh is with him.
0: Right. It's an anointing.
1: Yeah, it's an anointing. God's presence is with this one. Whereas before it said the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Yeah. But now, whatever Samuel says, God backs it up. And speaking of God's
2: presence, that finds its way into our next episode here. And the word of the Lord, uh, or sorry, it says the word of Samuel came to all Israel in First Samuel chapter 4. So it kind of, you know, ties itself back to what you were saying. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped, encamped at Afeq. <laughs> I don't know why it's just Afeq. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I'm so immature. The Philistines.
0: <laughs> 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 the first As time I thought you said Affleck,
1: me. like Ben Affleck. It is a positive effect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
0: what <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. I hope that
1: all of our listeners can hear the genuine joy that happens in this podcast. <laughs> effect. <laughs> you probably belabored that enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So they encamped at effect. The Philistines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no wonder we'd be taking like 40 minutes to record one half.
1: Oh, man. That's, uh,
2: Why'd you just butt? You are the king at just exposing <laughs> our weaknesses, dog.
1: What's up with that? So, anyway, skip. Just say yet. it different. They camped at Afek.
2: Afek. <laughs> I like it better. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. It's kind of this is the first like fight that the Israelites just like engage in on their own free will. Nobody's told them to, they've not inquired of the word of the Lord, although it's clearly there. I mean, the chapter starts out with saying, In the voice, and the word of Samuel was in all of Israel, right? So like you have this idea that like it's not that you can't inquire of God. You just didn't. You're like, we're going to fight these Philistines. And so they go up to fight these Philistines, and they get whooped. 4,000 men die. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel, maybe we can expect a voice of reason here, I don't know, said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So again, I mean, the elders, like you would think, oh, okay, well, you know, it's kind of like grandpa will talk some sense into you, you know, like the elders may come through and say, well, you probably should have inquired of God, but they don't do that. They're like, hey, why don't you just go take the ark and bring it up? Because we've never lost with the ark before.
1: Well, And that is a good point, but, the, also, but also they not. are right in the fact that they say that Yahweh defeated us. Yeah. There is a recognition of, like, those Philistines didn't do this. Something's wrong. Something's wrong, and now Yahweh has broke out against
0: us. So it's almost, they're trying to almost control Yahweh, like as some sort of military power. Like Maybe, but it seems like the next passage, like, kind of sets us
2: up for the answer. And by sets us up, it seems that God is setting someone else up. (laughs) So the people sent to Shiloh, brought the Ark of the (laughs) Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. Interesting that it, it denotes hmm. it that in a way. It, it's like the text is trying to belabor to show us like, okay, if that was your perceived problem, it's definitely answered. The Lord of hosts dwells in between the cherubim. What's on top of the, the kipporet or the, the, the throne, the lid of the ark, there's two cherubim with their wings pointed inward.
1: Right, and that's where the, the mercy seat, where, where God's presence dwelled.
2: Right, and so the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas... The two that have been promised to die by God, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God before a fight with the people they just lost to. I don't know. It'll work out well. well. <laughs> It'll be a, they'll win. Right. So as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gives a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. That's just a powerful scene. That is a very, yeah. Yeah. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of Yahweh had came to the camp, they were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. So be men and fight. So the Philistines, I got this dude that just rallies them. He's like, oh, don't trip. Be a man. Go fight these guys. So they go fight them, and Israel's defeated again, and they flee. There was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of the Lord was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died.
0: This did not work out how they wanted it to do.
1: No.
2: But, but it kind of worked out how God wanted it to. Right. And,
0: <laughs> and it's going
1: to become more apparent that that's the case. So God has just fulfilled what he spoke through two prophets and the, these these leaders of Israel who, in their hubris, think that after I've cheated God's people, I've stolen his sacrifices, I'm going to pick up his house, his seat, his throne, and I'm going to parade it in front, and I'm going to go out into
0: battle with it? He really took him out in, like, a really, like, triumphant way. Gosh. Yeah. And so... In this prophecy being fulfilled,
1: you have these two, that they're killed, right? Um, but when that news, it says after that that there was, Eli was sitting on top of the, the, he's waiting. He's waiting to see a messenger come back to tell him how this battle went. And it says that when Eli heard the sound of an outcry, he said, What is this uproar? And the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. That's like a contrast to Moses,
2: isn't it? Like, who was 120 years old, and his vigor was not diminished in any way, and his eyes were not dim. But for Eli, this illegitimate Levite, that's, that's not the case.
1: Well, it's, it's more that Edenic language where it's saying that you can't see, right? Your eyes are not opened, and, and that's not a good thing especially whenever you have Samuel in the in the, this is another contrast point in the beginning of this story it says that in the word of the lord came to Samuel right and so you have where Samuel can see he can see the word of the lord Eli here his eyes are dim and he can't see but after this outcry he he asks this messenger who comes running up and he says your two sons Hoph- Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of god has been captured And as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over from his, backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. (laughs) For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Which is kind of another contrast,
2: like old and heavy. It's like you've been getting fat off of the sacrifices of Israel illegitimately. Yeah, so we get this portrait basically painted of Eli that, you know, again, he sucks. He's not a very good guy. But... Something to note about him is that he doesn't fall off and break his neck and die whenever he hears that his sons are killed. It's whenever, as soon as he hears that the ark has been captured, you know, and and, and it pointed out that when he was sitting on his seat watching that his heart trembled for the ark of the Lord. Like, you get this idea that even this guy that's not been a very good priest maybe thinks that this isn't a good idea.
1: Well, it's but he's caring too late because this is also the guy who was letting the candle go out. Yeah. Right? You know, so it's like you, now you care for your priestly duty. Now you care for, for the ark. Now it's too late. You well, should have cared when Phineas and Hophni were, were desecrating yeah. the temple.
2: Well, and interestingly enough, the period of time that he judges Israel is 40 years. That The sad part of the end of this story is that Phinehas's wife is pregnant, and Phineas is dead, when she she hears the news that the Ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband are both dead, she vowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her, and she names her son Ichabod, meaning that glory has departed from Israel because the Ark of God had been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband, so the text here
1: lays the blame at the feet i don't know this it, uh, yeah well this is something that's never happened yeah. god's ark has never been captured right this is this is a one off the 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 children of israel you know in the wilderness they did some dumb stuff you know that they sinned in some ways and god punished them in some ways but never did the right. ark leave
0: imagine the hopelessness like oh my oh my gosh
2: yeah i mean you you don't have a completely conquested land and you don't have a temple. There's, there's like this, not uh, settled foundation feeling. There is no king. There is no established order. You've just now got a prophet. Maybe things are kind of looking up. And then, you know, the the ark's gone. It's captured by the people that have been enslaving you. You've just lost access
1: to the to, to, to God. God. Yeah. Well, and the the fact is, is like, for Eli, when he hears that the, he this has been prophesied that this stuff would happen. So to him. And I imagine to his daughter in law, it's like, Yahweh's left us. Like the thing that we feared would happen all through the wilderness wanderings, all through the conquest, it it happened. Now Yahweh is deport- he's departed. He's not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you and, think they thought he was with the Philistines? Like Well, it th- he literally says that God has defeated us. Yahweh has defeated yeah. us. Yeah. It's almost like the understanding is, and this is congruent with all of Scripture, is that when God judges his people, he uses another nation to do it. He lifts up a ruler. He lifts up a kingdom, and he uses them to punish his people. And so, like, yeah, God is using the Philistines.
2: Well, and funny enough, like, the Philistines are scared first because they hear of all of the plagues and stuff, all of the strikes that that God has um, dealt to Egypt. And then they're like, ah, don't be afraid. Let's go get them. So they get them. And from the Philistines' perspective, this would have – Surely signified to them from their worldview, they would have felt, "No, well, Dagon's
1: tougher than our Yahweh. God is, our you God know? beat our it, God beat Yahweh. Yahweh was
2: bad to the bone. I mean, he sacked the Egyptians, but our God beat Yahweh." And the next chapter shows <laughs> us, "Yeah, that's not the case."
1: So they bring the Ark of the Covenant and they place it in the temple of Dagon before their idol of their statue, their idol of Dagon. And so, just as a quick note for our listeners' sake, the idea of these ancient people is not that like, okay, this piece of stone, this is Dagon. No one was that stupid. No one thought that. But what this statue was is exactly what the Ark of the Covenant was. It's my god, Dagon, can come and they would do rituals. And in these rituals, they would summon the spirit of their god and it would come into the nostrils of the statue. And there, that was when their god was with them much like God rests on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so they bring God's Ark, God's you know, pl- dwelling place, into the dwelling place of, of Dagon, almost like of putting it in front of him like it's bowing before Dagon, like Dagon is standing over the top of this Ark of Yahweh. And it says that they, they left him there, and the next day they go in, and Dagon, is the statue, this idol that Dagon was to inhabit, is bowing on its face before Yahweh's Ark. It said it had fallen on its face. And the same kind of vocabulary is used
2: for Worship. Someone, someone that trembles before a king. <laughs> you know. There's something in there, Creek. So they took Dagon and put it back in his place. Like, oh, you know, maybe it's a fluke. So they rise early the next morning. And he's fallen on his face downward on the ground before the ark. But his head and his hands were lying cut off, not broke off,
1: cut off So the threshold. Just another quick point. Sorry for being the nerd here. But this is a common practice in, in this, this ancient time and in these ancient peoples is when you killed, and you'll see this later on, um, kind of embodied in a story that we're in, in our snake crusher line, but a common thing to do whenever you killed an enemy is you cut off their head, you cut off their thumbs, you cut off their hands, and sometimes, not to be graphic, but genitals. I mean, it was just it was a way of not only taking a trophy and showing that you had defeated this person, but it was also a way to number your defeat. So if you had 10,000 heads, well you knew hey, we killed 10,000 people and that was part of what made up the song of your glory whenever it was sang over your victory. And so here God, Yahweh has cut the head and the hands off Dagon showing him that like you're not just bowing before me, but I've completely defeated you and I've <laughs> I've taken trophies. Yeah. <laughs> you know your hand and your heads are they're, they're mine. I've disgraced you, I've defeated you and I've got these trophies. Yeah.
2: And so they they develop some weird superstition as a result. The scripture says, This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. It goes on to tell us that the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, that he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. So they see these things. They're like, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us. For <laughs> his His hand, the the hand of this God, is hard against us and our God Dagon. So there's like, you know, a realization of that usurp or not usurping, but of that dominance. So they sent and gather all of the lords of the Philistines, and they're like, "What shall we do with the ark of, of the God of Israel?" And you would think like the voice of reason would say, "Well, I mean, if he's going to give you tumors, crush your God, Destroy break it. off his, head not- and his hands." <laughs> fall down, desecrate his temple, and show himself to be dominant. Maybe we should send him away. But they don't do that. Or destroy it. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, well, you know, uh, let's just send it to Gath. So they send it to another Philistine city. They bring the the ark of God of, of Israel to Gath. But after they brought it, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. He afflicted the men of the city, young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they're like, "Ah, well, you know, two times a fluke. Let's try number three. They sent it to Ekron, another Philistine city. But as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They're
1: like, (laughs) no. (laughs) So two things. Number one, I think it is kind of interesting that they they send it to Gath, which is a stronghold for the Philistines. It's also the place where those pesky Nephilim fled. It makes it a point. That for when they fled from Joshua, that they fled to Gath, yep. and later we see one of these giants come from Gath. It's almost like thinking that we'll send. Well, it didn't work here, so we'll send it to a stronger place. A, um, you know, a place that's more our territory that has more of our spiritual significance. And the same thing happens. Second point: Have any of you brothers read this in the King James? It doesn't say tumor. Yeah. <laughs> it says hemorrhoids. Mm. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. That's I'm just even saying. worse. But what's
2: interesting is the way that this chapter ends. I know this kind of segues away from your hemorrhoid. Talk.
1: <laughs> he just like killed the, the human. Yeah, there you go.
2: <laughs> the men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Which is kind of an interesting note. Typically, like when the cry of something goes up to heaven, it's
1: not—it's not good. It's well,
2: nice. yeah, but it's on behalf of a people that are persecuted. That the reception is that way. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, almost like where it's supposed to be like a thing where it's like God hears the 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 brokenhearted or God hears the afflicted, and it's like His. His justice is that, like, I hear this bad thing, and I'm going to respond in kind. But here it's like God hears this justice being done, and it pleases him.
2: So, yeah, the ark of the Lord is in the country of the Philistines for seven months. The Philistines call for the priest and the diviners, and they say, what shall we do with the ark of Yahweh? Tell us what to do with it. They say, if you send it to Israel, don't send it empty, but by all means, return him a guilt offering then you will be healed. So the the diviners are like, hey, you know, if you're going to send Yahweh's property back to Yahweh's people, don't send it empty-handed. Um, <laughs> I love that. You man. know, yeah, no doubt.
1: <laughs> These people are even though they don't even believe like in fidelity to Yahweh, like they've got fear of the Lord. They're like, uh
2: Yes. He I,
1: expects payment for our guilt.
2: Yeah, this this line is so potent. So you must make images, verse 5 of Samuel 6, of your tumors, images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand off from you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh Ooh. hardened their hearts?
1: Hot take there,
2: baby. Let's go. After he had dealt severely with them, they did not send the people away, and they departed. Now then, take and prepare a cart, two milk cows, in which there's never come a yoke. <laughs> yoke the cows to the cart. Take the calves home away for them. Take the ark of the Lord. Place it on the cart in a box. At its side, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way. And watch, if it goes up on the way to its own land to Beth Shemesh, then then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we will know that his hand, it is not his hand that has struck us. It has happened to us by coincidence. So they put out like, um, kind of like Gideon's little... Fleece. Uh, yeah, little fleece. Yeah, they're like... Hey, let's do a test. If these cows just naturally take it over to Beth Shaman, <laughs> we know that God has just been that, like dude. beating us down. But <laughs> if it doesn't happen, then we know this whole thing has just been a wicked coincidence.
1: <laughs> I think it like a couple things, like the fact that the plagues were spread by mice, like it mentions that. Like from a modern day perspective, we're like, Oh yeah, that's actually really common. You know, like that's a scientific thing. <laughs> that they, they, they do spread plagues, but Second of all, man, the way that they send this offering back is so like Yahweh. I want, I want a, a a oxen that has never been used before. It can't it can't be used. It has to be brand new for me, right? <laughs> you know this. Yeah. It's so like Yahweh, and I don't know if their d- diviners were hearing from the Lord or what, or maybe this is just a common thing. But it seems like man they are bowling right down his alley. Right. Like, give him glory, like, you know, it's just, it it can't be coincidence. And I don't even know why they throw that in there. Like, well, if it goes on its way, then we know it was Yahweh who struck us. But if it doesn't, maybe maybe it's coincidence. I also like the fact that it's like they learned a lesson from Pharaoh. (laughs) They're like, yeah, remember that guy and uh, he did that thing and he was strong-willed and didn't break. Look what that did to Egypt Let's not go down that Let's route. Not replay that. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if we send it back and with these offerings in a certain way, he'll have mercy on us.
2: Yeah. So the good news is, is the ark does return to Israel. Some of the men at Beth Shemesh are struck for looking at it. They're struck down. They're killed. But it comes back to Israel, and they're like, ha-ha, you know, God, God killed the Philistines. There's this stone that's set up as a monument to this to this day. In First Samuel chapter 7, it says the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab Abed- on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim a long time past, some 20 years, and all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So Samuel says to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. What's interesting, you know, then they, they consecrate them. You know, the Philistines hear that people are gathered at Mishpah, so they go up to fight them. And the people of of Israel, of Israel say to Samuel, don't cease to cry out to us. There's like a safari, a sacrifice made. But the the interesting thing to me in this passage is that like typically what's happened is God raises up a judge. He empowers him militarily to take command, to go conquer an enemy, and then that judge says return to the Lord. This has happened very different. They go out to fight somebody on their own accord. They get absolutely whopped twice. The second time, they fumble the Ark of the Covenant. They lose it. The Philistines take it back. God plagues the Philistines just like he did to Egypt. They take a note from Egypt's book, and they're like, okay, well, we're not doing that. We're sorry. Here's a whole bunch of gold. <laughs> we're sorry for upsetting you. We're guilty. Take your ark back. And the people have been delivered, and they're now pledging their fealty back to Yahweh. But it hasn't happened as a result of this new judge, Samuel, leading the army in a conquest.
1: No. Yahweh it's does it himself. Different.
2: Yahweh does it himself.
1: And I think that that's kind of the key point lesson here is, like, the, these these wicked you know placeholders priests that they're, they're, they're thinking like well now that god's established let it be the strength of our army that goes out and wins this thing and god is absolutely against that
2: well and the sad part is like samuel's given us such a good flavor like he goes back to rama he creates this like circuit where he's like going from town to town to town and he's doing this ministry thing he's doing yeah. this prophet thing everything's great and the next chapter talks about Samuel becoming old and he makes his sons judges over Israel. You would tend to think like, oh, well,
1: like father, surely, yeah,
2: surely Samuel's sons will be better than Eli's. Not the case. The name of his firstborn son was Joel and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all of the Israel uh, elders of Israel came together to Samuel at Ramah and said to him You are old and your sons don't do what you do they don't walk in your ways now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations but the thing displeased Samuel when they said give us a king to judge us
0: it's funny that he wasn't upset that they said your sons are bad he yeah. was only upset that they said give us a king well, and I think that specifically it's not
1: even the give us a king. It's what follows that. Give us a king like the nations. Mm-hmm. Right? Because,
2: yeah, the rest of this leading up to it, what they say is like, okay, well, yeah. The elders of Israel come up, and they're like, they, they're the ones that point out that they're not joining the corruption. They say, your sons are corrupt. They're not doing what you do. Um, so you're thinking, okay, wow, the people of Israel are keeping the leadership accountable. This is good stuff. But they say, like, you're old. They don't do what you do. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us, like all the nations. Like Deuteronomy tells us, we covered this a couple Snake Crusher episodes ago. We're to expect a Malek, a king. We need a king. We need a king. God desires a king. Yeah. And there's one far off. He's not getting here. He's far off, Balaam says. I see him. Yeah. Um, We need a king. But they're like, give us a king to judge us of all the nations. And. The reason that we know this statement means what we're portraying that it does, or at least that this request is not good, is because this little portion ends with Samuel crying out to God like this isn't good, and God's like, Don't be upset. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. That I would not reign
1: over them. So why does he say that? And that that's where I think that like for the the rest of this episode, we're kind of gonna kinda be in this this stream of things. But so Yahweh seems to, to say this because when they're crying out for a king like the nations, it's, that's pretty specific, right? Why did Pharaoh lead Egypt? Because he was divine lineage, right? He comes down from, his, his claim is that his lineage comes from their gods. The same is true of every nation surrounding Israel. All of their kings claim some sort of divine lineage. Like I am a son of God. I am I am one of these demigods, right? And we've already read where, like, the authors of the Bible they don't those those hybrids, those half breeds, they don't paint them in a good light. Right. They, we don't like that. They're jerks. Yeah, the sons of those you know those sons of God, those Beneha Elohim, their children they're they're a mess. They're evil. They're wicked. They're contrary to God. And we know that this is what is in view here. That because when they pick a king and and we, we'll probably cover this more later, they pick a king who is head and shoulders taller than every man in Israel. They pick a king that's a giant. And maybe not a giant, like... Giant clan, but... Yeah, maybe he's not 10 foot tall, but it's almost, it's like this thing where we want, we want a God-king too, but it's not the right kind
2: of God-king. Well, and funny enough, like, that's, that's what God says. He's like, no, go ahead and obey their voice, but solemnly warn them of the king that will rule over them. So Samuel does. Samuel tells all of the words of the Lord to the people that were asking for a king from him. He says, Behold, these will be the ways of the king that will reign over you. He will take your sons, appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders out of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground, some to reap his harvest to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards he will take and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He's going to take your male servants, your female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his own work. He's going to take a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves, and in that day you will cry out because of your king, who you, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day.
1: Sad. He's going to use you. He's going to really do just... exactly what those giants do. They consume right. everything. They take everything. That's not, this isn't like the beginning of freedom. This is the end of freedom. You're going to be slaves now, and he's going to take your sons and your daughters and your land, and he's going to take a tenth. He's going to take a tithe, right? That's we know from the backside of that. Like that belongs to God. A tenth belongs to God. Well, up to this point, they're not being taxed by by any Israelite anyway. You yeah, know, I mean, there is there is given for uh, an allotment for the the Levites, right? right. And, and to the house of the Lord, but there's no, there's no governmental tax. <laughs> the, the, shout out to our government who has no problem taxing the fool out of us. They don't Man. take a tenth, boy. They take it like a third <laughs> not to get on a diatribe, but so in every way, the author of Samuel paints this as a bad idea.
2: Yeah. It says the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. It's like he goes to this diatribe, like this king, is going to do horrible for you. And They're like, no, but there will be a king over us that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And the guy that they're going to get will be very reluctant to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, one thing I could it's... think of was you— Idiot! <laughs> some Steve Harvey humor up in here. I was just like, "That's the dumbest answer you could have said." I mean, what are you, some kind of idiot? Because God just proved to them, you are not going to do well fighting your battles. Right? You go against their, well, the Philistines, you are
0: going to get murdered. Every word Samuel has said has come true. That's that's what's so frustrating when <laughs> you do. And I know we, we tend to be like those little pusky Israelites, but yeah, you know, he everything he has said has come true, and and they. Uh, your daughters will be bakers. Your children will serve him. Like make his weapons of war. Like right. your like your children will be slaves to this dude. Like that kinda hits different, you know what I mean? Like and mm. so it's just kinda like you you guys are really going to deliberately pick this. I think that the last
1: word you said is good, right? And I think that we talked about this a little bit before um before we started recording. But like the idea of decision, right? So in the beginning of this episode, we talked about Hannah, who is a righteous and contrite woman before Yahweh, and she makes a request, right? She makes a request of God, and God gives her her request. Well, here the people are making a request, but they're not doing so humbly and contrite, and they're not doing so in Yahweh's will. They're doing it contrary to Yahweh.
2: Yeah, and we hearkened to this a little bit in the last episode, how... It sort of serves as an example from this, you know, divine council worldview thing, not, not only just for the natural king, but for the, the powers that govern them. It's kind of a smack in God's face. Give us a king like they got yeah. unto the order that they do that treats right. us like their king treats them. It's like God said, it really is. And it brings that statement to a whole new light. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They no. don't want me. They would rather, it's back to what we said. I think it was when we were covering the, covering the Midianites in the yeah. last episode yeah. or the Philistines or somebody, how it's like, yo, if you will serve these God, you're bowing down to the Baals, right? And the result of your apostasy from God, of you taking your loving loyalty from God and throwing yourselves into the arms of another lover who is not legitimately God. No, it's means, not good. In the, in the same way that he oppresses, abuse, abuses, <laughs> uses, enslaves, and destroys his people and everybody else's, the fruit of what that's going to be for you is the same thing. Right. And God straight up says, like, yo, this king that you want, he's going to do all
1: that to you, bro. Whereas the and, and opposing to that, when you said that, like, they want a king to lead them in battle, who's led them in battle to this point? Right. It's been Yahweh. Well, and when God's led them, have they lost? Or
0: is there fear in every nation around them about this Yahweh that leads them? Exactly. They want to be like the nations whom God has defeated, who God has mm-hmm. rocked their God, cut its hands off and head. Yeah. It's like, what? Why do yeah. you want why do you want that?
2: Yeah, this thing that sets Israel, as Moses said, distinct, apart from all of the peoples of the earth. It is that Yahweh goes before them. That's why he says on Sinai, harkening way back to that episode in the you know later chapters of Exodus, like if you're not going with us, don't send me. I don't want to no. go. Like I only want to go if you go because you're what makes us distinct.
0: Well, and I've always kind of said this. Like after the Torah, things seem to get really hopeless, and yeah. the rest of the Old Testament, like it's it just seems very hopeless. Like you have moments where it's like all oh, things are looking up, but so just. Pay attention to that as we go, like how hopeless it must feel to be in this time.
1: And even in like the fact that they want a king, like we've been told that that's a good thing. It's a good desire, but not in the right way. Yeah, and how this chapter ends us and just
2: laying in this plane is bringing that confliction to light that the king that you are choosing is not the king that God has promised. And that's what makes this guy a bad choice. Before he is ever chosen.
0: Yeah. Well, it almost seems like when the people choose the leader, things aren't usually good. Yeah. it's yeah. a very
2: good point. <laughs> yeah, their ability to choose well is fundamentally compromised. I mean, yeah. it's
0: just not good. Maybe God <laughs> isn't rocking with democracy. Like, oh, that's a real problem.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't offend the Americans.
0: Well,
1: <laughs> we just got canceled. Oh, I think that for the purpose of this episode, that's what's at the table.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, God bless Catch y'all next
0: week Thank you for listening to another episode of At The Table Podcast We hope you've been blessed by the content of the show If you enjoyed, subscribe and give us a like on Facebook If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, At The Table Podcast Until next time, thank you and God bless